0: Welcome to the Everyone Has a Story podcast presented by the Business and Education Alliance, where students' talent, interests, and aptitudes can be connected to the dynamic world of work. Welcome, teachers and students, to today's episode of Everyone Has a Story, hosted by the Business and Education Alliance. My name is Bob Gimignani. We are so pleased today to have with us Andy Vick. Andy is the Executive Director of the Cultural Office of the Pikes Peak Region. Andy, thank you so much for volunteering some of your time today to speak into the lives of the next generation.
1: It's my pleasure, Bob. Happy to be here.
0: Andy, so let's get right to your story. Uh, Think back to just a few short years ago when you might have been in middle school or high school. Um, Did you have any thoughts back then about what sort of job you wanted to have when you grew up?
1: You know, the honest truth is I really never had anything that was just calling to me, was willing to let opportunities and experiences unfold as they might come and and see what happens. And I was very fortunate that I had uh, parents who were very supportive of me learning for the sake of learning and didn't uh, feel that I had to go in one direction or another. They just wanted me to do well in school and encouraged me all along the way. I was very fortunate, and I just found a path that worked out for me in a very organic kind of way.
0: That's excellent, Andy, and uh, probably uh, good uh, chaperoning or shepherding on your folks' part. Uh, As an athlete, I I would hear um, a term uh, that was used, let the game come to you. It almost Mm -hmm. sounds like that's what uh, your folks encourage for you, so that's pretty cool.
1: Well, and 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 they really encouraged me to learn and to enjoy school and embrace school and to be ready for whatever opportunities might come along.
0: Andy, what was your first ever
1: paid job? So my my first ever paid job, I believe it's hard to remember all those years back the exact sequence, but uh, I was a busboy. Uh, for a brief stint in an Italian restaurant called Cass and Lose. Uh I was also uh, one summer I painted stairways in an apartment home as an apprentice to the to the building operator. And, but the one I think that I consider my first real job was I was a computer geek back when Apple IIes were just coming on the market, and, and I would uh, learn how to do basic programming and. I actually was hired by another small business owner to teach basic, basic programming, computer programming to people in his, uh, in his business. And there was a place where there were, I don't know, eight or 10 Apple IIe computers way back in the days in in the 80s. I showed people how to do basic coding that would make a, a ping pong ball go up and down or used to create Dungeon and Dragon games uh, back in the day. So my first job was actually, ironically, because it's not a field I'm in now, as, as a somewhat of a computer programmer slash educator.
0: That is some serious old school, Andy. I, you and I, I think, may be close in age. I I remember that technology coming out yeah. when I was younger and how revolutionary it was. And And just look at how clunky it would be today, right? <laughs>
1: Oh, I, I mean, it's, it doesn't even hold a candle to what's going on today, for sure. Yeah, even
0: to a, a small smartphone that you have in your hand. Right. But Andy, did you uh, participate in any experiential or work-based learning where you might have had an opportunity to do a job shadow with a professional or do an informational interview or perhaps even an internship when you were in high school? Was that available to you? And if so, did you take advantage of those experiences?
1: You know, I honestly don't remember if if we... If I was aware of those opportunities back then, I, I'm guessing they existed, but I was really focused on school. I did really well in school in high school, and had a good group of friends, and was part of the, as I said, the computer club uh, for a bit of time. And so I, I other than taking on summer jobs in, in different ways, I didn't really have the opportunity to, to have a more formal uh, workplace experience. And I I wish I would have uh, because I think it would have been a great experience, but I just didn't have that particular opportunity at at that time.
0: All right, Andy. So you get the floor now for a while uh, to tell us your career journey. If you could, um, you know, tell us how you went from uh, having this sort of uh, uh, let life come to you attitude uh, as you went through your schooling to where you are today uh, with an impressive resume in the arts uh, being an executive director of a really cool nonprofit, if you could, try to pay some particular attention to um, whether or not you inventoried what you thought you were good at, your aptitudes, your interests, and how being mindful of those two key features of where you know where you wanted to be um, played into your decision making with regard to your decisions for education and job changes and your progression in your career. So the floor is yours for as long as you need it. I will try not to interrupt.
1: Well, that's a lot of open space. I'll, I'll do my best to keep it uh, interesting and succinct. And um, so I guess I would say in high school, as I said already, I was a really focused student. and I got really good grades in high school. I, I was very proud of that. And I wound up going to a, a good college and um, also did well in college. And when I went to college, I didn't really know what I was gonna study, as I sort of said. And so my father actually uh, encouraged me, he said, take a broad range of subjects and and find something that was interesting to you. So my freshman year, first semester, I took astronomy, philosophy, history, and then one other uh, uh, that I can't even remember right now. And you know what, I wound up in my history class. It was a medieval history class and medieval European history. And I fell in love with the class. The professor was one of these uh, great gray beards, spoke seven languages, wrote the textbook kind of professor. And I just found myself getting really excited by learning that subject matter, which I never knew anything about before. And so I wound up majoring in history, in medieval history. Along the way, uh, what I think I did, and I think I knew that this was going to be helpful to me, is I learned how to read, I learned how to write, and I learned how to respond to the assignments that were being given to us at school. And those are really good foundational skills for anything and everything. And so when I graduated from college, I didn't have a real plan of action. Um, I had a degree, but I didn't, it was just a liberal arts degree and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I wound up having a friend who was, doing an internship on Capitol Hill in Washington DC. Long story short, I moved out to Washington DC into a group house and um, made some wonderful friends. And I actually just got my first real job after college by answering an ad in the newspaper in the Washington Post for an administrative assistant at a government contracting company. Applied for the job, was hired, entry level position, I will say ironically, uh, during orientation, who should be sitting across from me at my orientation for my new job was my future wife, who was just hired to be a graphic designer uh, in the same company. And we- How
0: fortunate.
1: Were very fortunate. And and so around the table, there were five or six people who were all being new oriented folks to the company. And my wife was, my, my future wife was among that that group. I had some really, Wonderful mentors at my first job. Um, Several of my bosses were just so helpful to me in terms of giving me opportunities, in terms of showing me the ropes. Again, this was my first, it was a company of about 250 people uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, did government contracting, not so much for the military, more for the soft service industries, uh, human resources, uh, USAID, and I learned a lot. One of the things that I would really like to shout out to my father uh, for. Um, He always uh, helped me to dress smart and helped me to look like a professional, even as a young man. And so when I went to the office, I always remember feeling uh, good about myself and very fortunate and appreciative that um, I had, again, parents who were very supportive and helped me to navigate the world in a way that allowed me to be uh, as successful as I could be. So great mentors at this job. Uh, along the way, my wife and I got married. We had great friends at this work and I moved, my, I moved up. I had several different jobs within that company. So in marketing, I became the human resource manager. Uh, this is all after some entry level uh, work that I had done because I was doing good work and they were rewarding me and allowing me the opportunity to advance within the company. At a certain point, the president of our company decided to leave to start his own business. And he asked me to leave with him and to join him in his new startup business. And it seemed like an amazing opportunity. And so I took that uh, chance to become his marketing director. Uh, As it turned out, that startup business did not sustain. uh, And as it was coming to its end after a couple years, my wife, who along the way had become, uh, had sort of left the graphic design world and got into the uh, craft world making jewelry. She had a business that was starting to grow. And so we decided to take a bit of a gamble and I quit my job with the startup company while it was still happening, but getting to the end. And I went to work with my wife. And so I started a career as a entrepreneur in the jewelry and the art business. My wife was the talent, if you will, a very talented artist, visual artist, and I was helping her to run the business and helping to make some of the work in a production mode uh, when it was uh, needed, and I would interface with the clients. And so we had for uh, a really, I would say about a dozen years, a very successful art and craft business that took us around the country along the way and during that. So that's what got me into arts, very unintended. I had never expected to do that. I figured I'd always stay in the business world in some ways, but this really was a fun opportunity to go into business with my wife and to support something that she was very good at and she had started to build. And we had an amazing uh, run as artists full-time, making our living. We were very fortunate, again, uh, to be able to sustain our existence selling art. Along the way, started volunteering with the local uh, arts organization on their board then when the opportunity came along i stepped into a director role in that organization it was a local arts agency in a in a community in maryland did that for 10 years ran a local arts agency and then my next career move was to go to a bigger community and so from where i was uh, i saw an ad for the job that i currently have at the cultural office of the pike peak region about seven years ago. And I applied for this position and went through an interview process and was ultimately hired in 2014 to come out and lead this local arts agency. So similar kind of work to what I was doing before, but uh, a bigger community, a bigger budget, uh, bigger opportunities. And so I've been doing that for the last seven years almost and uh, really enjoy it. And it's an exciting time to be here in Colorado Springs so many great things are happening and my job is to really make sure that the arts benefit from all those great things and help to contribute to the community to make it an even greater place
0: excellent andy and i take it you brought your wife with you on yes. this yes
1: <laughs> yes uh she we actually just celebrated our 30th anniversary uh so we've been together quite some time now
0: congratulations thank you does your uh did your wife maintain her jewelry business
1: Uh, No, she is. uh, We sort of got out of that around 2004. The market was changing. We had a great run. She had some health issues that needed her to step back a bit. Uh, And I was getting more involved in my role as the executive director in my last job. I was kind of doing the two overlapping for a bit um, because they were both in the art uh, space and they both. Complemented each other, and the board at the time said, "Sure, you can continue to do craft shows, but still be our director." But at a certain point in time, it became difficult to do two jobs well for a variety of reasons. We sort of phased out the jewelry business, and uh, I've been doing the administrative work uh, ever since then.
0: So, Andy, your journey communicates some elements that I think are important for students. They're seeing that most, probably seventy-five percent of the professionals that we've interviewed so far there was not this grand plan. And yours is perfectly uh, illustrative of kind of being open um, to opportunities, being curious, working hard, getting a decent education, and kind of following a path of opportunity and taking advantage of those opportunities by applying those critical skills and those soft skills. You know, good work ethic, being intelligent, being smart, Being social, networking with people, um, Mm -hmm. and all of those great skills. Andy, what what has been your
1: experience? I I totally agree with that, Bob. Uh, um, I will say to you, there are folks who take a different path. My freshman year roommate in college was pre med all the way, and he knew that's what he was going to be. And that's great. And we used to always joke about it that I had no idea what I wanted to do, I was there at school just to get a good education. And to, as you said, make uh, acquaintances, learn how to socialize with people, learn how to be a good speaker, learn how to, again, writing. I mean, I still, I write grants. Uh, I have to write emails uh, back to people who need things. Being a a solid writer, a solid communicator uh, is the kind of thing that's going to see you through no matter what you do. And I think I always, whether I, I I don't know if I thought that Uh, deliberately about it, but um, those are the skills I acquired and they've served me well.
0: Andy, what would you say is the biggest single professional challenge you have faced in your career and how did you overcome that?
1: I'm going to give you a a really um, underwhelming answer and uh, I will tell you that when I looked at the questions ahead of time and, and thought about it, I feel that I've been so fortunate that I have not encountered a challenge that I would say is big enough that it warrants being called it the biggest challenge of my life. Sure, you run into issues all the time, projects that don't manifest. Um, Sometimes people will disappoint you. Sometimes a grant that you expected to come in didn't come in and you have to pivot and spend less money and and manage your dollars in different ways. But I've been really fortunate um, that I haven't had that kind of critical challenge that I would say defines me in any way. Um, and that's okay with me. I don't, I don't, <clears throat> I don't feel like that. I, I'm not looking for that kind of a challenge that would overwhelm me.
0: Andy, you've referred a number of times to uh, people who've influenced your life. You're, you talked about your folks and <clears throat> um, your first boss uh, that showed up as mentors. Uh, do you want to give any uh, specific shout outs to a couple of people who uh, spoke into your life in a very meaningful way?
1: Yeah, I would say at my first job in um, in this government contracting firm, my two first bosses were just great people. Uh, a guy named Harry Rodas, who was the one who actually hired me, and he took a real chance on hiring me because, again, I didn't come to the table with any um, special skills that made me perfect for the administrative assistant in the contracting department. But I went into the interview, and I remember really striking up a nice conversation with Harry and. Just felt like it was a right fit, and he took a little risk on me, and I was able to uh, live up to his expectations. And and really, we cultivated this really wonderful mentor-mentee kind of relationship. And he knew his way around the block. He was a he was a sharp man who had been in business for a while, and I learned a lot from him. And then when he moved on, my next boss, uh, a man named Mark Reynolds, uh, also just an amazing boss uh, and a. Taught me so much about the, the contracting business and um, and life. And uh, I, I really, those two in particular stand out to me as people who helped me, especially as I was, it was my first job right out of school, didn't know my way around the, the corporate world. And they both helped me to navigate that and gave me opportunities and encouraged me and provided me with the ability to move up within the organization. So I, I really owe them both a lot. Andy, what would you say to
0: your teenage self, knowing what you know today?
1: Well, it has nothing to do with career and probably everything to do with uh, don't eat so many hamburgers and french fries. You know, when you're younger, you feel like you're invincible. And uh, the amount of junk food that I ate growing up, uh, hamburgers, french fries, pizza all amazing. And I loved every minute of it. But you know, when you get older, uh, you get to the reckoning place where uh, you realize you can't do that anymore. And um, a couple years ago, I I did a much better job of steering away from that course of eating habit and into a, a slightly, at least slightly healthier eating habit. So I would tell myself, you can't eat junk forever. At some point, you got to pay the piper and reality will call.
0: Yeah, I think when we get to a certain age, we th- I, I like the word you use, the reckoning <laughs> of personal habit and preference. Absolutely. Andy, um, talk to us about the Cultural Office of the Pikes Peak Region. What does your organization do? What's your mission? And who are the uh, constituents and stakeholders that you serve?
1: Yeah, so the Cultural Office of the Pikes Peak Region, uh, also known just the cultural office, and sometimes by our acronym COPPER, we are a local arts agency. And so what does that mean? Well, first of all, we're a nonprofit arts agency. Some agencies are part of city government or county government. Some like ours are are nonprofits, 501c3. And uh, our job, uh, much the way a chamber of commerce might look out for the business community, the local arts agency Uh, looks out for the creative or arts and cultural sector in a given community. So our service area is the city of Colorado Springs. Yes, but all of El Paso and Teller counties. So this two county Pikes Peak region, cultural office of the Pikes Peak region. And so uh, we support all the arts, visual arts, theater, dance, music, literary, uh, poetry, film, culinary arts, Uh, anything that falls within the sort of that world of arts and culture, our mission is to support those organizations and those individual artists uh, who are doing the creative work, and then also to represent our creative community to the business community, uh, to the tourism community, to statewide interests, and in some cases to national arts interests. So we are really this connecting tool and this framework that helps a arts community to be rich and vibrant and robust and uh we are not a membership organization uh, most of what we do for the community is free of cost for example we operate a great website called peakradar.com peakradar.com it is our community's cultural calendar so if you wanted to find uh events or activities that were going on You could go to peakradar.com, put in a date, or put in a keyword, or put in whatever other information you might have. Um, You could see what's happening in our community. That's just one example of the program, uh, type of programs that we run, but really we're in the business of helping our local arts community to thrive and grow.
0: Andy, I've been in this community since 1991, and correct me if I might be wrong, but it seems to me that over the last decade or so, that the Colorado Springs area in particular, uh, there's been an acceleration of the arts. Would you, is that something that you've been, you believe is happening in our community?
1: I, I think that there's been uh, a great arts and cultural community here all along, going back to, you know, the Broadmoor Art Academy, which is the predecessor, predecessor of the Fine Arts Center. That's a hundred years ago. So there's been this history of arts and culture and rich arts and culture in this community. And then, you know, over time, uh, circumstances ebb and flow. Um, and I think you're correct that over the last, I don't know, uh, five, 10 years, whatever it is, as this city has also been coming up in many different and exciting ways, the arts community's also been coming up. Um, great things like the End Center for the Arts get uh, a beautiful facility, gets built, built on the UCCS campus. Uh, I mentioned the Fine Arts Center celebrating 100 years. Um, there are so many arts groups doing amazing work. And yes, I think it's all, it was all just going in such a wonderful and amazing direction.
0: Andy, let's talk to that particular, maybe high school student that's watching this career story right now. Um, can you give an overview of perhaps the occupations specifically in your organization that are employed there? And then perhaps if you could kind of uh, zoom out a little bit. Uh, and talk to that student that might be interested in a career in culture or arts, what are the types of positions that might be available in our community in other organizations that are in your industry that those students could explore and learn more about?
1: Yeah, so that's a really broad question you're asking in terms of um, what can you do within the arts and cultural sector, and there's uh, you know, in our community alone, a study we did recently, there are over 5,000 jobs in, in nonprofit arts and culture in the Pikes Peak region. Nationally, uh, the arts sector employs uh, and generates, I think it's like 4.5% of the gross domestic product. So if you factor in Broadway and Hollywood and all these places that are, are, are creating arts and culture, it is a huge industry in our country, a huge industry in Colorado and in our community uh, as well, it's very substantive. So there are many different kinds of opportunities. In our office, particular at the cultural office, we, are, we have four full-time people, including myself. Um, we are all, what I would say, generalists. Um, uh, I come from a, with a little bit of visual arts background. Uh, my deputy director comes with a little uh, work in the museum and children's um, education background. Uh, the two other staff folks are, are fairly young. Uh, one we hired right out of UCCS, and while he played music, uh, you know, in the band uh, casually uh, in school, he was not particularly an arts person. Um, and then the other woman is, is also a younger woman. She has some background in theater, so we'd like to find people in our for our office who have some connection to the arts. It helps. So, if it's a field you're interested in, um, being whether you're a dancer, a singer, a, a musician, a poet, whatever, having some of your own personal experience in the art world is a great entree into this career sector. Uh, but doesn't have to be that way. Um, again, I come with much more of an administrative background, and so you need a lot of folks who are working. If you're working in a nonprofit, you need to have some management uh, skills. You need to be able to understand budgeting. You need to be able to um, write grants. So uh, you don't have to be an artist, but in the doing work in the space and uh, uh, having some connection to that is is really good. In school, are you taking band? Are you uh, studying? Are you uh, enjoying after-school theater? Um, are you going to writing classes? What are you doing to cultivate your own art skills now as a student with the possibility of pursuing those uh, either uh, to get a degree in some form of, uh, of art in, in uh, college and or beyond if that's a direction you want to go as a performer or a creator or a producer of art um, there's also lots of uh, technical needs uh, managing theaters. Um, costume design uh, if you get into film and being all the various roles that you can play as an editor as a producer as a uh, director so there's endless opportunities it really depends on what your particular interest is cultivating those interests starting at a young age at the age that uh, many of your uh many of the listeners are in high school is uh, or younger even a great time to really embrace the arts and uh, find out what excites you and then see what kind of doors that might open as you as you get older and um, what direction you want to go whether you want to again be a producer or uh, an administrator uh, very different kind of things
0: absolutely Andy Vick uh, executive director of the cultural office of the Pikes Peak region it's been a pleasure to hear your career story thank you so much we're going to Take a brief pause and uh, come back with part two, an informational interview, to learn what a day in the life of an executive director of a really cool nonprofit looks like. Andy, thank you so much. Sure, Bob. Andy, thank you once again for donating some of your time to talk to us today.
1: Happy to be here, Bob.
0: Yeah, so what does a day in the life look like of, of an executive director of a, of a cultural office?
1: I have a very fortunate Job structure. I think it's it's wonderful in that it's always varied. Our offices are downtown in Colorado Springs in the Plaza of the Rockies, so right downtown next to the Pioneers Museum. We have a nice small little office suite right on the ground floor, and uh, all four of us uh, are in that space, and we're we're in fairly close working conditions together. Um, but actually, we have a great camaraderie. The four of us get along so well and really enjoy what we do. So, uh, foundationally, I would say I'm very lucky that uh, I have a great office environment to work in. But I would also take a little bit of credit for that as the, as the boss, um, that I try very hard to create an office space where we expect excellence and work really hard, but we do so in a very relaxed and friendly and um, collegial environment. And I've been in a lot of different job situations and I feel very privileged right now that the one I have is probably the best I've, I've been in, in terms of just general comfort, lack of office politics, and a, and a sense that we're all doing good and important work for the community. Um, and to that point, I would, I would say that I really like being in the nonprofit world. Being in business is great. I've had that experience small business, bigger companies, but I really enjoy being able to contribute to the community and doing the work uh, in a field that I really like, the field of arts, arts and culture. And so I'm very fortunate that my whole world, uh, I'm in a place where I wanna be. I'm lucky, but I've worked hard over the years to get to that place. So I'm doing work that is valuable and meaningful, I believe, but also very personally rewarding and professionally rewarding. So in a general sense, there's a great context to start from. Um, I have lots of meetings. Now they're all via Zoom, but in the past I would travel, quote unquote, uh, to all different corners of the community here to, uh, to meet with people in their space, to hear about what we can do to support them, to hear about opportunities and to bring people closer to the arts and cultural community. So my job really gave me a lot of, of, of occasion to be out and meeting with people. And I really enjoy meeting with people. I'm a bit of an extrovert. So I love having meetings. I love uh, talking to people. I love going to social networking events. And I would do a lot of that. And that was a big part of my job is to connect the community to arts and culture and to represent our sector to other sectors Um, and to elected leaders and to folks in the business community to tell them why the arts and culture is important. And in order to tell people why arts and culture is important, if they don't already know that, you have to have relationships with them. And so a lot of my time is spent building relationships, relationships that uh, might help a a short-term project to move forward, or relationships that don't have any seeming uh, intent other than to let people know that if they have a question or a need in the arts and cultural sector, hey, you can reach out to Andy at the cultural office and he'll help connect you to the right people. And so a lot of my day-to-day work is building relationships, building connections, and figuring out how those connections and relationships can advance the cause of the work I do, which is to grow the arts and cultural sector in this community. So a lot of interactions with people. Um, We have a lot of programs in our office that our office runs. I mentioned Peak Radar before. Other programs, we do an an arts month uh, celebration in October every year. We have, uh, we're gonna be doing a cultural planning process where we envision what the sector looks like 10 years from now. Um, We have a program called Curbside Culture that uh, allows performing artists to go out into the community to to perform in small, socially distanced, safe ways uh, because they can't perform in theaters and uh, other performance venues now because of COVID. And so uh, I have certain programs that I run and at certain times of the year, they're more active than at other times. And sometimes I'll have multiple programs that are both very active and sometimes they're like this. So I have a lot of programmatic responsibilities over the course of my day, depending on what program is uh, activated at this point in time. I also have a lot of responsibility for the numbers, for the budget, for the financials. So I have to write checks uh, when we have to pay vendors. Uh, Again, this is a small office. There's only four of us. So I don't have a finance person. I'm basically the finance person in addition to being the executive director. So there's a lot of bookkeeping that has to happen um, when it's budgeting time, I have to put the budget together. I have a board of directors of right now fifteen people who are basically my bosses, and so we meet every month with our board of directors. So I have to prepare reports for my board of directors so they can see how our office is performing uh, month after month uh, at our meetings. So there's all kinds of, uh, and then you know, then you get these the the little things like we had some vinyl lettering on the front of our door at our office. Well, it was starting to peel off. I had to pick up the phone and call the vinyl lettering guy to get replacement lettering put on. So uh, especially if you're in a small office, um, you wind up doing a lot of different things. But as I said at the beginning, I think that's one of the greatest parts of my job is I have so many different responsibilities that it allows me to have a very Uh, different and varied day, every day of the week. Um, And that keeps it fresh, it keeps it interesting. And um, it's one of the things I like the most about my job. Thanks
0: Andy, you've talked about um, in your day in your life, some technical skills and soft skills. So Andy, uh, can you pick out maybe the top two or three technical or job, job knowledge skills that you need to deploy to be successful on a daily basis? And then the softer essential skills you've kind of touched on some of those would you like to highlight some of those that are critical to success
1: i am not a uh, website developer but for example uh, we have to be in our office very capable using programs like wordpress so that we can keep our website updated so There's a skill that I brought with me from my very earliest job, right? Being comfortable around computers and having a basic sense. I'm not an expert, um, but I can um, update websites for our office. And that means that we don't have to pay someone else to do that. And and actually most of the staff has the ability to do that. Uh, And it's pretty mainstream uh, nowadays. I'm not saying it's anything special, but having some level of computer competence and capability uh, websites and other is super important. And we use that all the time. Writing, grant writing. I'm, I'm always, I'm not the only one in the office who writes the grants, but uh, we share that duty. And so I'm always writing a grant of one kind or another or a final report for a grant. Um, because in the nonprofit world, that's how we help to keep our budget where it needs to be in order to do our work. We need to write grants to have foundations invest in our work. So writing skills is always important. And that even translates into emails. How do you write a succinct uh, business email to someone else to make sure you're getting your message across and that you can get back whatever information you need from that individual? Or or customer service responses. When someone um, has a question about one of the, the programs that we're operating, uh, how do we respond to them in a, in, a, in a way that answers their question, makes them feel confident in us as an organization? And So customer service skills, uh, written and verbal are, are key. And that get back, you know, the softer skills, uh, that, get, that gets back to communications. How well are you able to communicate? How well can you speak to another person? How well can you write uh, back and forth with another person? Nowadays, you know, here we're doing a video recording. Uh, Some people are not comfortable being in front of a camera. And uh, it's an important skill to have even more so nowadays. So there's all these different pieces of the puzzle that have to come together in order to run a successful organization that is really serving, you know, 700,000 people in this community. Not everyone may use our, our services all the time but they exist and are there. And we have to be responsive to people who live in downtown Colorado Springs, as well as to people who live out in Victor or Cripple Creek, out in Falcon or up in Monument. So we really have to be able to communicate in a variety of different ways in very uh, efficient and effective manners.
0: If you could pick one thing um, that you like most about working with copper what would that be? And then also the one thing that you like most about leading that organization.
1: I think the, the thing I like the most about working at Copper is I genuinely believe in the work we're doing. I believe that the arts are essential to our community. They're essential to our souls. Uh, it is the way we express. It's the way we share. It's the way we build relationships, music, dance, writing, creative writing, um, film. These are all gifts. They're all beautiful things that more people need to embrace. And so I feel in some ways that my job is to help people who have already discovered the wonders of arts to really enjoy them. And for people who have yet to discover that, to help them uh, find their way uh, to the things that might really excite and inspire them. And so having a job that you believe in having work that you're passionate about, that's a real gift. And I really feel that way with the cultural office. I feel like, I feel like I'm doing good work that I'm proud of, that's helping the community and supporting the arts. And um, feeling good about the work you do, I think is really important. And, and I feel that way And the cultural office gives me that opportunity. You asked about um, leading the organization. Um, I won't lie to you, being in charge is fun um it's a lot of work but it also means that you get to shape the direction you get to shape the path you get to shape um the vision for the organization you do that with other people you don't do it by yourself but ultimately i'm being paid to lead this organization and ultimately when decisions need to be made if it gets bumped up the chain of the command uh it's a decision that i'm going to have to make a direction we're going to have to choose to go in and I, I like being the guy who gets to make that call. I didn't start there. I, I worked my way up and you earn that and you have to earn that right uh, all the time. As I said, I have a board of directors that, that's in charge of me and if they don't like the work I'm doing, they can remove me and, and find someone else. Um, so I have to do good work, but I really love being able to steer the ship. I think that's a lot of fun. And when you have a success, and you feel like you were the the person who helped to lead the organization to that successful event or, or happening, that makes me feel very proud and very good about uh, the work that's, that's being done. And I enjoy being in that leadership role, accept the responsibilities that, that, that comes with that leadership role. And I really enjoy being able to support my team and giving them opportunities to grow, And to help them to come along, that's a real gift as well. And as I said, I have a great team. I just feel really fortunate to be in the place I'm at right now.
0: Andy, what's that one thing that you don't like to do that you have
1: to do? I would say, you know, as a nonprofit, we have to source our revenue in a variety of different ways. So we have money that comes from city government in a contract form, we have grants that come from foundations. We have corporate contributors and then we have individual uh, donors who support our work. You know, one of the, the, I guess, the necessary evils of nonprofit work is that you have to fundraise, you have to raise money. And while I won't say that I, um, I don't hate it by any means, and I feel like I do it fairly effectively, um, you know, asking people uh, for money is not always a, a favorite thing of mine. Uh, on the other hand, I feel that I can do it effectively because I believe the work we're doing is good work. When you believe in the work, it becomes a lot easier to ask people to invest in your work. We could have a magic wand and all of a sudden I'd have all the funding I need uh, to do all the work I want to do for the organization and the community without having to ask people for money. That would be great, but I don't think it works that way.
0: That would be my answer too, Andy. <laughs> In a nonprofit, right? It's you know yeah. you're just not uh retailing a product or a service that people are choosing to pay you for. You've actually got to go out there and work it. So I get it. Yep. Um, Andy, for that student who's, you know, watching this interview and saying, Oh my gosh, I want to kind of do what Andy does for a living when I grow up. Can you suggest ways for that student to gain exposure to and experience in your field of work?
1: Yeah, I I think uh, what I would suggest would be to sign up to receive our Peak Radar uh, blog every Wednesday evening. It is basically an e-blast that goes out to about 18,000 people in our community, and you could be 18,001. And basically, it's like, here's what's happening in the arts community in the coming week. And we do that every week. So you always know what's going on. You can also follow us on our social media. We have Facebook accounts and Twitter and uh, Instagram, etc. And And find out what the cultural office and Peak Radar are doing. That's a way for you to plug into the art scene as a young artist. And uh, the more you're aware of what's going on and when we can go back out and take advantage of things in person, um, getting out to, events and venues and supporting the local arts community and becoming acquainted and becoming a part of your local arts community. I think that's a great first step in terms of plugging in. Um, and then, you know, when you, if, if you see certain opportunities that uh, really inspire you, give them a try. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the arts community, you can email uh, me at the cultural office, Andy at culturaloffice.org is my email address. And um, I can help point you in the right direction uh, if, if I'm able to do that. That's part of our job at the cultural office is to, to help you do that. Um, but I just, I think getting getting involved in your local arts community and feeling like it is your arts community because it's only going to be a great arts community if people get involved. And if you're making art or playing art or thinking about getting involved in the arts, do it and, um, and benefit from everything that it can afford you and bring you. And you'll find yourself closer to the arts community. And as opportunities come along, whether that's an internship, or a job, or just a chance to hear some great music, or go to a poetry slam, those are, those are great things to do. And, um, and you'll find your way uh, as you get more involved.
0: Excellent. And students also, uh, you're hearing this theme of you know, get connected, be curious. Um, I hope you're also seeing some amazing career representatives in the Pikes Peak region that are talking to you in these videos, encouraging you to ask questions, um, to, to show up for yourself, right? And be curious, be inquisitive. And every single um, career representative and industry representative that we've talked to is more than willing to help and share their experience with you. So. Uh, yeah, show up for yourself and ask the right questions. Andy, the hard part of our interview is over. Okay. Um, yeah. What do you like to do in your free time?
1: I love spending time with my wife and, and uh, watching a movie together uh, in the evening is one of the things we really enjoy doing, uh, especially nowadays.
0: And Andy, what do you want to be when you grow up now?
1: You know, that's an excellent question. I saw that on your list of questions and I, uh, I stumped myself. Um, I don't know, I, I like where I'm at right now, but I also feel like, uh, as I've done all along, if, if some neat opportunity should come my way, uh, I would try to explore it with an open mind and see if it's the right fit. But right now I feel like I, I found a good, a good rhythm for me and um, a good job with working with good people, doing good things in a community that I enjoy being in. I don't have any plans right now to do anything radically different, but life is, life is um, interesting and unique and always unexpected. So uh, just be ready for opportunities when they come and, and see where they lead.
0: Andy, any final experience or you'd like to share or any thoughts uh, to students watching this interview right now?
1: Um, I guess I would just say to all the students that uh, something that we talked about earlier, which is if you don't know exactly what you want to do or be right now, that's totally fine. Um, Don't feel pressured into any one thing or another. Just get smart, learn as much as you can, make interesting and and varied and different relationships with all kinds of people and learn from those people. Uh, And be open-minded to opportunities and and when a good opportunity comes along, be brave enough to, to give it a try and Hopefully it'll be a good opportunity, and if it's not what you uh, expected, change directions and go in a new way. And um, that sort of of helped me along the way is just follow the opportunities and and be grateful and work hard. That's sort of the story of my existence, I think.
0: Andy Vick, Executive Director of the Cultural Office of the Pikes Peak Region. It's been a pleasure to uh, hear your story today. Thank you again for donating some of your time to speak into the lives of young people.
1: Pleasure, Bob. Thank you. And I hope everyone um, uh, found something useful in the conversation.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Everyone Has a Story podcast. We hope the experience shared today in the career story and informational interview may benefit you as you make educational and career choices. If you would like to learn more about the Business and Education Alliance and how we are working with education and industry to connect students' talents, interests, and aptitudes to the world of work, please go to businessandeducationalliance.org.